Welcome to another episode of Music the Lifeblood. Very special episode, this one. This is part two of Music the Lifeblood's focus on Sam Hain. For those not in the know, Sam Hain is, uh, slash was, a seminal punk death rock band formed by Glenn Danzig after his tenure with the Misfits had ended in 1983. This show is focusing on Sam Hain's original drummer, Steve Zing, who would eventually go on to be the bass player of Glenn Danzig, very impressive, aptly titled Danzig, starting in 2006. Uh, just an editor's note, because there's going to be a lot of names that some of the listeners may not be familiar with, in case you don't know the Danzig Misfits Sam Hain mythos. Uh, Glenn is Glenn Danzig, Doyle is Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein, who both played in Misfits at one point or the other. Pete is Pete Damian Marshall, Erie is Erie Vaughn, London is London May, who all performed in Sam Hain, were members one way or the other at some point. Todd Youth is guitar player at one point of Danzig and went on to form uh, Son of Sam with Steve. So, you got the cast of characters. I want to point out, if you want to find us online, we're at Podomatic.com, Stitcher, iTunes, and all those places where you download podcasts and things like that. We're also on Facebook, so feel free to reach out to us. On to the interview. I want to thank Steve for his candor and his time. This is Music the Lifeblood presents Sam Hain Focus Part 2. This is Steve Zing. On the phone, I am joined by Steve Zing. Steve, thanks for being on the show, man. No problem, Dustin. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So, this year was the 30th anniversary of Sam Hain. Um, I definitely want to talk, you know, just kind of like from a legacy perspective, you know, experience going all the way back to the 80s to today, you know, things like that. So, kind of reflecting on everything that's happened, you know, when it comes down to Sam Hain, what, what, are, what are your feelings kind of walking away from it at this point? Um, you know, it's, um, it's one of those things where I, I never thought we'd get to do anything at a 30-year reunion. Um, is it finished? Most likely. Never say never. Um, it's just, you know, there's so many things to do rather than kind of relive and rehash the past. And we were very, trust me, Dustin, we were very fortunate for the amount of fans that came out to support this and people that probably weren't even alive when the band broke up. But um, I, I think it was a good way. I think we went out on a high note if, if that was the end, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. Okay. So uh, to take me back, okay? Take me back to, to you being you know a young, young fella in Lodi. Um, you're sitting on top of the garage there. And you're listening to the Misfits rehearse, you know, your kind of first initial introduction to, to that world. You know, what was the feeling like as you're sitting there hearing, you know, this happen? Well, when I, when I used to, when, if, if Doyle was around before he was in the band, and I would get invited into the garage to actually, you know, watch them. Sure. Um, I, I used to look at Glenn and say, I'm going to play in a band with this guy someday. 
I just kind of knew that that's that's what I wanted. That's what I was going to do. And um, you know, fortunately, it turned out the way it did. Right. So they get the 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 misfits come and go. You know, eighty three. They play their last show. Boom, they're done. Yep. Glenn, Glenn comes to you, and what what's what's that? Yeah, what what's that? Home. You're right. <laughs> what's that conversation really, like? They, the day after they got home from the last Misfits show from Detroit, Glenn called me to tell me the band was over. That he was thinking of starting a new band. I said, "Well, I'm sure you'll be successful." And he asked me right there, "Do you want to do it?" And I said, "Well, of course." What I mean, you're 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 in your late teens at that point, right? Yeah, I was. Uh, uh, how the hell was it? Nineteen. Nineteen. Okay. Okay. Does 18, that? 19? Do do you immediately you know I mean you know Glenn uh, Glenn as a I, I guess kind of like an iconic figure within like the punk rock and metal community you know at that point in your life you know you have this long connection with him you know do do you feel like there was the the weight you know of of what Glenn Danzig could be or was going to be was was that in the air at that point absolutely not. We were just a bunch of guys from Lodi, New Jersey, trying to make music. You know, it wasn't... Uh, look, he... I, I had looked up to him, and of course, because, you know, the Misfits were one of my favorite bands. Sure. You know, uh, besides a lot of the punk stuff, that, and the Ramones, but a lot of the punk stuff that was coming out of England at the time. But the Misfits were right there, and it, you know, it changed my life from the first time I ever saw them rehearse. Wow. Uh, but it wasn't this iconic thing and thinking that he was going to be who he is. It was more or less that I was getting to play with the guy that I admired who, who wrote great fucking songs and, you know, just had, you know, he, he, was, he was just an influence on me, you know, all the way around musically, um, as a friend, you know. So it was, uh, you know, it was definitely like a learning experience. Sure. So what was I mean, go, coming from coming from morning noise, you know, you you jump from morning noise to Sam Hain, you know, as a as a player, you know, as a young person, as a, you know, as a musician, what what was the difference? Was it a quantum leap, you know, or was it just kind of business as usual? No, it, it was business as usual. I mean, you know, um, it, obviously, the guys in morning noise, morning noise broke up because obviously I didn't have time for it. Um, and they were kind of, they were kind of pissed off at me anyway for, for doing that. <laughs> you know, I had to, you know, make a choice at that time and to devote the effort into Sam Hain. So it was just, you know, business as usual and, and let's just, you know, roll along. And, and as soon as Glenn and I, you know, um, decided that we were doing this band, yeah, he'd come over my place, and we'd sit in my room, and and just me and him go over songs and ideas. Right. It's my it's my understanding that you guys recorded the the intro to Initium in your bedroom, right? Yes. I, it was something. I was sitting there with a bass guitar through a, 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 a tape echo machine. Nice. And I just was like, it was feeding back through my stereo speakers, and I called him up. I go, listen to this, <laughs> and. Uh, over the next day and there there it happened so what okay so we go through 
we go through, you know, some rehearsals in DC with Lyle, you know, uh, Brian Baker's there for a minute, you know. Now understand that was done before me. That was done, done before the Misfits even broke up. Right. Okay. So he knew the Misfits weren't going to last. Okay. Okay. So we, we, you know, we go through a couple little, you know, kind of lineup, you know, changes, things like that. You and Erie get settled on, you know, as, okay, we're going with Steve and Erie. What was, you know, initially, what was the chemistry like? Because when I talked to Pete a while back, um, Pete was, you know, he said it was really funny that, you know, kind of funny to him that Erie had only been playing bass, you know, six months at that point. You know, what what's the dynamic like in in the rehearsal room, in the writing space, you know, but between the three of you guys? Well... It really wasn't because Erie was still learning how to play. Um, we didn't have a guitar player. In fact, Pete was really Glenn didn't even want Pete. Um, we were we had to do a tour, and and basically what happened was we had tried out some people who just didn't work, and I recommended Pete over and over, and and uh, Glenn's like, no, he's a nice guy, but no. And finally, it was like. You know what? He's not a bad player. Let's try him. So we tried him and wound up. You know, he, he worked out. But yeah, it, it, it was kind of weird. It, you know, it was like the whole thing. You're starting from scratch because here you have a whole new um, uh, direction musically because everybody expected Misfits Part Two, and that, they definitely didn't get that. Right. Um, so, and you had a bass player who was learning how to play bass as we went along. So it, it was an interesting time. You know, it, it was fun. It was, uh, you couldn't ask for any more of a grassroots level band. Right. Who, um, who, who pushed for, um, you know, redoing Horror Business or All Hell's Breaking Loose, you know, or uh, Death that Comes Ripping? Glenn's idea. Glenn wanted uh, to do it? He, uh, yeah, he, he was really into, like, um, you know, he, he really liked those songs and thought that, that you know, um, the Misfits didn't do it justice, believe it or not. I mean, I, I would have to disagree. I mean, the Misfits version is still my favorite version. I don't mind the Sam Hay version, obviously, but, you know, uh, when you grow up on one thing and then you play another, again, you know, I think it was just to prove to people that you know, he was coming from a different mindset at that point. I've heard, you know, in, in the interviews that um, I heard a, there was a radio interview you and Glenn did at that point, right around the time Initium was being worked on, that uh, we were going for a more um, kind of a dark, uh, I think I think the word he used was like a pagan-like, you know, kind of motif with Sam Hain. Um, walking into that, you know, was that something you were on board with from the beginning? You know, like, yeah, this sounds cool, or I don't know, let's try it. You know, how'd you feel about it? Well, again, he didn't want the Misfits Part Two. He definitely didn't want to sound like the Misfits, and you know, it, it, it was. And if it started started to, then he was going to change it. If you notice with Sam Hain, there's a lot. The drums are more tribal type sure. things. You know, so that's where we were with that. It was, um, you, you know, it's not like you set out, obviously we set out to not sound like the Misfits, 
but it's not something that was forced that you sit there and go, well, we're going to sound like this because we didn't know what our sound was. We were, we, it kind of grew as the band grew over days and months and weeks. You know, we didn't have a lot of time to do it because Glenn did not want to be idle. And, you know, remember, Miss attended Halloween of 83. Mm-hmm. And we, we released a Sam Hain album in, I guess, September of 84. Yeah, it was a quick so turn. even a year later. Yeah, it was a quick turnaround. So did did the did the did the process did it feel rushed? You know what I mean. Was it was it just we're, we're fuck it we're going at breakneck speed as quickly as we can? You know to we want we want to just go full speed ahead with this. No, you know what? It wasn't rushed, and I I think you know Glenn had a lot of these songs in his mind, but he knew that the Misfits were not capable of playing those type of songs. Um. More, not really uh, talent-wise, but I think in the headspace that Doyle and Jerry were in at the time, he knew that wasn't going to be possible. Okay. So, um, you know, so he kind of already had an idea. You know, Ben's always been about growth, you know, and if you listen to the progression of everything he's done over the years, you hear growth in every album. Sure, I I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. I had it. it was, it's unique. It, you you mentioned something like that. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and we were talking about Black Acid Devil. And uh, my friend, he's he's not a fan of the album. Uh, it is what it is. And I had mentioned to him, like to me, that album feels more like a Sam Hain record than it does a Danzig record. And well, you know, you know, those were interesting times for for Glenn, you know, for the band, because, you know, the original members of Danzig were gone, and I think, um, you know, he was just looking to try something different. Sure. You know, trying to, I wouldn't say keep with the times, because Glenn's not, Glenn doesn't care about the times. That's for sure. That's <laughs> never been his thing. <laughs> right. But I think it, it was his, it, you know, it was his um, getting into the fact that he was capable of doing that, and um, you know, and I, you know what, it, it is what it is. So okay, let's go back to let's go back to Initium. Um, you guys record this in real platinum, right? Mm-hmm, yep. Okay, what was the the actual sessions for that? You know what? What what's your what's your takeaway from those sessions? What what do you remember most about them? Oh, being cramped at a drum booth <laughs> that was like uh, <laughs> the size of a shower. Nice. But no, you know what? They were interesting because, again, we were building something, building a sound, building something that didn't exist, you know. And again, even even myself and, and Erie would sometimes sit there and not really, you know, for us, it was kind of hard to grasp because, you know, and then once... Glenn would put his vocals down. It was like, ah, oh, you know, it's Glenn Danzig. Sure. You know? I think... Uh, but no, they, they, were, they, they were great times, man. You know, they... Um, I remember like it was yesterday. Pete, uh, Pete had mentioned to me that Pete was... Uh, he was a little skeptical about, you know, if you buy a pressing, you know, if you buy something other than like the original actual LP pressings of it, that it may not be his guitar work on, on those albums. Now, do you know, 
Do you know anything about that? Is Pete still on what you know? What oh, you would buy today? He wasn't in the band during that. Right, right. Lyle plays guitar. Glenn plays guitar. But when right. we get when we go forward to like Unholy Passion, November Coming Fire. I, I I don't know to be honest with you. I haven't heard anything like that. Hmm. Okay. I thought it was it was interesting. Those, uh, you know, I've from from all the research, you know, and kind of following Glenn Danzig's career, you know, over the years, I've I've been a long, a real, real long time fan. He has a reputation for being just a relentless taskmaster. Rehearsals, you know, I've heard I I've heard London mention on occasion, and I had I heard Pete mention. It was one of the bands that you just went bonkers even at rehearsal. You treated rehearsal like you would a show. Absolutely. Why? You know what? It, it was. It was it wasn't so much to perform at a rehearsal, but you got into it because you felt the music. It was sure. live. I mean, thinking about what was out at that time, it was nothing like we were doing. You know, I I think I really think we kind of uh, brought something to light that wasn't there. I mean. The only other dark shit that was going on at the time, you know, were the Batcave band out in England. And that was more, you know, Bauhausy, poppy, dark music. Sure. It wasn't about that. But, you know, um, I really think we created something that was different. I, w- I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. What were those, you know, uh, the the road trips that you guys were on for Initium? You know, there. <sighs> How were they? What, what, you know, what's, your, what's, what's your experience? What do you remember? Those were tough. They were tough. You know, we didn't have a, it's not like we have today with Danzig and everything where we have a tour bus, two tour buses, and a crew of 12 people that travel with us. Right. And all kinds of, you know, accommodations. We had a box truck, <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> right. So, you know. We basically drove around the country in the box truck. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it was I, I, you know what? Let's put it this way. I wouldn't trade those memories for anything, but I would never want to go back to doing that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> What's the... You know, it, it, it's, it's like this, Dustin, it's called paying your dues. Right. It builds character, right? It, and you see every band still doing it. You go to a warp tour. You go to see bands with they have a few openers, and the opener band is you know they're driving, they're following everybody, and they have a band pulling a trailer, and they're all sleeping in the van, and you know they get out, and you know they're all scrunched up from laying you know all different ways on top of equipment. You know it was kind of like that, but. <laughs> No, again, it, it, it was it was a great time. Uh, it was it was a tough time, you know. Uh, travel across the country. Remember, there's no GPS, there's no cell phones, none of that existed. So you were driving via a map, you know, using pay phones, things like that. It was it was interesting. Well, what's a what's a de-stressor in that situation? Because I, you know, looking back on it, you obviously you have, you know, you have a you have a sense of, you know, lightheartedness to it, that sort of thing. You have brevity, but in 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 that moment, I'm sure things got stressful. What what was a de-stressor? 
The only person that had a de-stressor was Erie because Erie had a, a Walkman, and he would he would have he made all these tapes and he would just lay there. And him and I were not allowed to drive the van because they said we didn't know how to drive, which was fine. We didn't care. <laughs> uh, but you know, we would be basically semi-comatose until we got to wherever we were going. And Erie would just keep his Walkman on. And if we wanted the Walkman, we had to you know buy batteries for it if we wanted to borrow it from him. And you know, um, basically, uh, you know, yeah, you, you put. You put a lot of, you know, pen to paper to kind of write down your thoughts and things like that. Hmm. Um, you uh, you thought about a lot of things. You kind of looked out the window of the of the passenger seat in, in the truck and just kind of like, you know, here I am seeing the country, you know, for the first time in my life, you know, and it's like you you you, you go, wow, every place looks the same, you know. You got farm fields, cows, and you know things like that. But you know, it, it was it was really you you had to talk to each other. You didn't really have that option not to. So you know, you had to get along. Yeah. Even if you didn't like each other. What what did what did you feel like? Uh, what did you feel like you learned about the other three guys? You know, during those times. That we were all definitely individual people. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> there. Well, you know, look, it's no lie. I mean, look, you know, uh, I, I haven't talked to Pete in quite a while. He actually defriended me uh, on Facebook after the 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 Sam Angels were announced months back, mm. uh, which I don't know why I didn't do anything to him. Glenn hasn't spoke to him in I don't know how many years, since 99. <clears throat> so, and, you know, either that's a whole other story, but, you know, uh, I, I don't think really, um, I don't think anyone really liked each other um, that much. We tolerated each other, and, and you know what? You can ask most bands, and you'll get the same answer. Sure. Not that you really like each other, but you tolerate each other. Sure. It's like a job. You may not like, you know, you like you may like your job, but you may not like the people you work with. Where do you think, as a as a musician, you know, not necessarily from a fan standpoint, why why do you think the uh, why why is there a perception that you know bands are like the monkeys? We're all hanging out together. You know, we all go ride you know tandem bikes together and have a good time. Where where do you think that comes from? Well, look, I'm sure there are bands that may be like that. I don't know. I haven't found one yet. <laughs> um, but, well, yeah, because, look, because the the consumer or the fan or whatever you want to call them only sees the end product. Sure. So you don't see what goes into that, and you don't see what's, you know, behind curtain number one. And it's usually not a pretty sight. Hmm. Okay. That's reality. It is. Well, yeah, hey, I I would agree. Look, it, it, it could be the same thing, like like living at home with with a spouse or a brother sister that you really don't get along with, but you you know you put up with it because it's your family or whatever. And, and same thing there. Okay. So okay, Initium comes and goes. 
uh, you guys, you know, you, you make these road trips, you come back, we start working on Unholy Passion. Mm-hmm. What's, uh, you know, what's the experience going into that? You know, you guys are, you guys, you have a little bit of mileage behind you, you're, you've gelled a little more as a unit. What's the recording process like? Well, you know, we're just going in and trying to get an EP out kind of as fast as possible because now you got to keep momentum up. And the only way to keep up momentum, that today it's easy. Today you just keep posting shit on Instagram, Facebook, or whatever other social media outlets there is right. and doing things like you and I are doing right now. Right. But back then we didn't have that luxury. So the only way to do was put out another record to keep people interested, to go back out on tour to, you know, so you were going back and playing new songs because the people that saw you just a few months back had already heard your first album. So, you know, it was going in and not rushing, but we went from doing 16-track recording to 24-track recording, you know, and it gave Glenn more of a chance to, you know, you know, expand even more on what he was trying to accomplish. Because there's a little bit of a different vibe on Unholy Passion versus Initium. Um, I want to say there's a little bit more of a punk rock element on Initium than there is Unholy Passion. Um, you know, did did you feel that? Did you feel that in, in the song yeah, structure? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It was trying to get away from the standard, you know, bar court thing and get into something that was just, you know, Glenn's mind was expanding. It was growing. And again, perfect example, Holy Passion, different than, different than an issue. So, and when you hear November Coming Fire, that's an interesting album because I hear elements of everything in there. Are you a fan? Am I a fan? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah? Okay. So where, where, why'd you leave? Well, you know, it was interesting times because <clears throat> it's not, we made money, actually, but we were kind of stagnant. And again, it goes back to a lot of different things. I didn't like, at the time, I didn't really like Pete, and I really didn't like Erie, and at times I really didn't like Glenn. Hmm. Um, I didn't know where, where I was going in life. And I was, I don't know, 21, 22, maybe. And I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And we experienced some, some crazy things on the road where we were stuck in a desert for a few days. And you sit there and you start evaluating things, going, do I really want to do this? It, you know, it all comes with maturity. I wasn't mature. None of us were mature. Sure. None of us. So, but it was just a decision that I made. I left music. I left it, you know, I did some gigs with the undead for a little bit. But other than that, you know, and that's all because he paid me to play. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I left music entirely for quite a while. Right. Just to, I had to find myself. In hindsight, you know what I mean? You're the person you are because that's the path you took to get there. You know, in, in hindsight... Do you feel like, yeah, that was the right decision to make, or do you do you feel like, eh, I, if I could go back, I would tweak this and do it a little bit differently? No, I I made the right decision for myself. Everything, timing is everything, and everything worked out 
just fine. Okay, nice. I mean, I'm still here to tell the story. I'm in a really good position now. Um, you know, um, joining Danzig eight years ago was great, and we've had a blast. And um, every, it's all about timing. Nice. So the timing was perfect. Do you feel? Do you feel like I it's? I got to have kids. You know, I got to get married, have kids, got to get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> do you? Uh, do, you know, all kinds of crazy shit like that. But timing is everything, and the timing was perfect. Do you? Do you ever feel like you know? Do Do you ever tell your daughters? Do you ever say, you know, if you're ever stuck in the desert for three or four days, this is what I want you guys to do. Just listen to your dad. You know? Do you? Do you feel? Do you feel like you pass that stuff on to them? No, you, you, you know, it it was, let me tell you, it was one of the toughest decisions probably ever made in my life. Um, and, of course, then when we saw it morph into Danzig and you see the success, I never kicked myself, but it was a tough decision um, because, you know, then I got into music again and, and playing, and I never rode the coattails of Glenn, never. There, there were guys that still use X, even after, they, after they've been out of the band since 1980. Sure. 34 years, they're still using X Misfit. I never did that. And Glenn used to say, well, you were part of it. You should, you know, say you were in it. And I never wanted to do that. That wasn't my whole thing, you know? My what, whole thing why? Was, what, why, right. why? Why shy away from you know, it? Why, I, because I didn't, I didn't feel like I had to... I was talented enough to to do my own thing, and I didn't I didn't have to ride coattails off anybody. You know what? Glenn deserves all the success he has because he did it on his own. Hmm. So, in that regard, and, and it wasn't until years later, and he would say, "You know, you can say it. It's okay. You were part of it. You were there." And you know, every once in a while, maybe in a press release for one of my bands, I would say something, but otherwise. I wasn't looking to, you know, cash dunk on Glenn's success for sure. Right. So that's you know, you, the the perception within the fan community is, you know, kind of Robert Smith and Simon Gallup, you know, or Rob Halford and Glenn Tipton. You know what I mean? I think of Danzig and Steve Zing, you know, together. The relationship that the two of you guys have, you know, what, what's the dynamic between the two of you? Um, you know, we've been friends for a very long time. You know, I met Glenn when I was 12 years old. That's 38 years ago. Right. Um, he, uh, he's been a great mentor. He, he you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting because every time we play a show and I'm standing on stage with the guy that, I looked up to the guy that changed my life, right, to put me in this magical musical position. And I sit there, and there are memories that go through my head as we're playing that takes me back to, you know, the Misfits, especially when we did the Legacy or Danzig with Doyle shows. Mm -hmm. It took me back to a kid every night. Every night, and I would think about 
listening to them, the original Misfits, play those songs. Or, you know, just standing on stage with him and listening to his voice, and it just takes me back to rehearsal rooms, or you know. So, I mean, Gwen and I have got, always gotten along. We, we, we never had issues. There were never any issues between Glenn and I. Hmm. My decision to leave was I, I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy, and I wasn't mature enough to figure out what I was doing in life. And that's part of growing up. Sure. For anyone. Okay. You know, there are people that get married at, at 18 years old, and, I'm in, so you gotta go. and sometimes they last. It's far and few. But at 18 years old, you don't know what you want to do in life. You know? And uh, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know if that was my thing. And obviously I loved music, but it was a confusing time. So one of those things, maturity. Yeah, I get it. Makes sense. Okay, so you leave Sam Hain. You know, you do some stuff, you know, with Bobby Still. Play drums for Bobby Still off and on. Um, light, a whole bunch of life happens for a long time. Uh, 1999 rolls around. You know, yep. what's uh, what's the phone call like that says, what hey? I was in L.A., and I visited Glenn at the Verotic office, and he said um, Danzig was going out on the uh, Danzig 6 tour, and, uh, you know, coming, that was, he goes, that was going to be in the fall. So January of 99, he says, you know, come the fall, the album will be, just coming out, and he says, we're going to do, he says, we're going to do a tour. What do you think about doing a Sam Hain set? And I was like, well, that would be pretty interesting. And, um, so originally Pete was supposed to be part of that. Mm-hmm. But Pete was playing with Iggy Pop at the time. Sure. And he, it was kind of hard to leave Iggy for, you know, a month-long tour when he had, you know, so many gigs lined up. And that was his bread and butter, so he had to turn it down. But, uh, yeah, we had a great time at that. Do you, I mean, answer answer this however you're most comfortable answering it. Do you want to talk about Erie's absence at that point? You know, that's something between Glenn and Erie. I mean, they had, um, I guess Erie was out of the band maybe six years at that point. Mm-hmm. Something like that, six, seven years. Um, uh, you know, there was, uh, I, I would imagine there was an unresolved um, dispute going on. I, I don't know. Here, I'll tell you this as I've told everybody else. I never had anything against Theory. Never. I didn't take his job in the band, as he's pointed out to. Um What's between him and Glenn is between him and Glenn. There's been a lot of shit that he's said, not only about Glenn, but about me. Hmm. I still don't care. Say whatever you want. It doesn't matter. I hold no grudge. Life's too short to carry around baggage. And, you know, you know there were um, some um, lawsuit things between them. And... And we didn't really talk about it. I'll tell you this much. Came last year when we did the Danzig 30th anniversary thing. 
the 25th or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> I'm all confused. Right, 25th. 25th anniversary. Um, I even said to Glenn, I said, you know, what we, why don't you think about bringing Chuck and, and John and Erie back? You know, I'm like, as a fan, I wouldn't be upset with that. And he looked at me and says, and why would I do that? He's like, you're part of this. Tommy's part of it. Johnny's part of it. You guys have been in here just as probably longer than those guys were. Right. And this is the band, and they're my songs, and I have no problem with this band. It's my favorite lineup. We have no drama. There is no drama in dancing. Not within the band. But we, you know, we do our job, and we have a good time doing it. And that's what it is. And I think the last thing that Glenn wants is drama from anywhere. And and as far as the eerie thing, from 99 up until this year, it wasn't a call. It was suggested. And, you know, for reasons unbeknownst to me or London, you know, there was just, there's things that we have nothing to do with. Hmm. That, okay. you know, so that that's all I can say, and that is that is the truth. You know, um, I know there's a lot of people that wanted to see Erie, and I don't blame them. You know, I miss the guy. I haven't seen him or talked to him since 1999. Uh, and I, I wish him well. I hold no grudge. I never had a grudge. There was no reason for me to have a grudge. But, you know, some people make decisions that they don't like to live with. I, I don't know what to say, you know. We all do it. Okay. We all do it. Wow. Okay, well, let's, uh, Todd Youth. You know what I mean? Todd Youth was bought on, brought on. He was playing in Danzig at the time. Um, he played on, what, the Satan's Child Tour and Seven, uh, Elusive yep. Fair Eye. Um, yep. You know, what's the... You know, what's it like? You know what I mean? Because there's obviously this big major difference, you know, in the way that the, you know, the music might be performed or the dynamic because we have two drummers that are swapping instruments, you know, playing bass for half, playing drums for half, and you have Todd Youth too. Um, well, you know, fortunately, fortunately, Todd and Tommy Victor as well, um, Todd... Todd is an amazing guitar player that can adapt to basically any situation you put him in. Oh, man. He's, he's subbed for Motorhead for some time. He's done a lot of gigs playing for Glenn Campbell. So you can stick him with anything because you know, he, he was a fan of the music, mm -hmm. especially of Stan Hain. So it, it worked really easy because he's very adaptable to, like I said, to any situation you want to put him in. So does that does that transition, you know, does does that working relationship what takes us headfirst into the Son of Sam record? You know, uh, songs well, yeah, from there. So what happened was after that tour, you know, we talked about doing something and originally um, we were gonna ask this friend of ours, this guy Devilman, who runs the Seventh House website, if he would wanna put the money up to for us to put a single out. And what had, AFI had opened up for half that uh, tour in 99. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Davey being a fan, we all got to know, we love Davey. And Davey brought it up to the head of Nitro Records, which was uh, Dexter from The Offspring. Mm -hmm. 
And so Dexter's like, well, let's just do an album. And we'll just sign, sign the band and do a record. And we did that, you know, we sent tapes back and forth because that was before MP3 type thing. And, and we recorded it over a weekend. And that was that. Recorded and mixed in one weekend. I love that album, man. I think it's, it's a, oh my God, it's so good. Yeah, it, it, it was a lot of fun to do. We had no idea what Davey was going to sing. Uh, nothing. Because we, again, the technology didn't exist. We never rehearsed. And we, and we never played out as a band. So the the second album, you know, uh, Davey's busy. You know, he's got stuff going on with AFI, Black Audio, and you know whatever he's doing. You know, we get uh, we get Sky from Todd's other band, uh, Chelsea uh, or Chelsea yeah. Smiles. Um, you know, are you are you are you happy with you know that second album? You know, do you like it as much as the first, or vice versa? Yeah, I do. You know what? I look. You know, and one of the reasons that London didn't play on it because London didn't want to do it without Davey. And, you know, hindsight, you know, uh, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, uh, you know, it probably put some tension between London and I at the time because I wanted to do it. I just wanted to make a record. I I like Sky's vo- vocals. I, I really like his voice. I think, I think it's awesome. That album is incredible. You know, like there's a song in there called Dark Life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think he's got he's got great vocal talent, and uh, the production's great. You know, so uh, I, I thought it was a good album. I, I'm definitely not ashamed of it. Is there any is is there opportunity in the future to revisit Son of Sam with Todd? You never know. Never know. <laughs> I would, man, I would, I would kickstart fun the hell out of that if that were to happen. So just, uh, just food for thought. I think you guys got a lot of fans just craving for it. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I would love to, you know, uh, get Davey at some point and uh, on an AFI break or something and on one of the many other projects that he does and, and get, get together and just do, you know, six shows. Let's do, let's do all the major cities, you know? Hmm, yeah. That'd be awesome. Who knows? So, okay. So the lineup changes in the actual Danzig band. Um, you know, I who who was before you? Was it Howie Pyro? Is that who it was? No, it was Jerry Montano. Oh, it was Jerry. Okay. All right. So Jerry leaves. Um, you know, you Glenn says, you know what? I think you can do this. You know, what's... what's I call, I was... Um... I was a few weeks away from being divorced. Hmm. And he calls me, he says, um, I'm looking for a new bass player. I said, sorry, I don't know of any. He's like, well, what about you? I go, me? He's like, yeah, you were able to play in, in San Hain, you know, when we did the you know, reunion. I says, I don't know. He goes, I, I think you could do it. So I said, well, when's the tour start? He gives me the date. And so I actually had a, have my lawyer call the courts to move the divorce, you know, forward because of the fact that that we that we had to go on tour. <laughs> so um, it was interesting. I didn't even own a bass, so I had to borrow someone's bass to learn the songs. Did you borrow from? Uh, didn't you? Uh, didn't you borrow it from um, uh, your bass player in Mara's Drug or Doomtree? Yep. 
Yeah, okay. Absolutely. <laughs> nice. Actually, I wound up buying that bass from him. Oh, nice. Okay. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so, and, and that was that. And it's been one hell of a ride and learning experience. So what's, you know, kind of, you, you, ha you have the advantage of all this perspective, you know, 38 years of friendship with Glenn, 30 years since the beginning of Sam Hain, you know, playing in multiple bands, you know, being a father, you know, uh, you know, moving from, you know, a marriage, you know what I mean? Ending, you know, that sort of thing. What's, um, you know, what's important to Steve Zing at this point? Living life for those boss. Because we we get, you know, we get um, we get one shot to do this in, and you get one chance. There's no do-overs, and you just um, enjoy the moment because it may not be here tomorrow for some odd reason. And just enjoy the moment. Hmm. So what do you use every opportunity you can? So that's you feel like that's that's your legacy. You know what I mean? Be focus on life, live it the way you want to live it. Well, but at the, at the same time, help others, help others along along the way, because if you could be there for them, they just may be there for you at some point. That's awesome. Okay. You know, it's 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 not about you know being the wealthiest guy in the world. You know, money's great, but. I know many, many people with a hell of a lot of money, and they're miserable. So it's not about money. I've, I've realized that. That's one thing that I realized growing up and turning 50. It ain't about the money. It's about getting the most out of this game of life, seizing every opportunity, having a good time, and bring others along with you. Nice. You know, if you can help others... You know what? It comes back to you tenfold. Nice, right on. That's an awesome way to look at it. I'm I'm always so glad, you know, as you know, as a fan, as someone that follows people, you know, in the music world, you know, that sort of thing. I'm always thrilled, you know, to to be able to hear something positive, insightful, you know, things like that from someone that you know you admire or you look up to, you know, whatever the case is. So it's good to hear it. It's good to hear that as a fan, you know. It just. Oh, uh, well, thank you. I, I mean, look, it's like. You know, you never know. I did a fundraiser last month with the Sam Hang bass drum head and raised almost three grand, and I gave it all to charity because what I realized was, could I have used three grand? I got two kids going to college. You know, of course, but you know what? That $3,000 wasn't going to change anything in my life, but I'll tell you what it did. We fed almost 100 families for Thanksgiving. These are people, everyday people who fell on hard times. They're not welfare victims. They're not anything like that. They're just people that fell on hard times that had not, that didn't have bare essentials, just like food. And the fact that, that, you know, I was able to donate this money to feed all those families, and I gave money to, you know, I mean, I love animals, gave out money to animal shelters that don't kill animals. Um, you know, it's just helping other people, and... And you know what? It felt really fucking good to do that. That's awesome. That's awesome, and man. And it's not about bragging about it. The person who who bought the drumhead wanted to, wants to remain anonymous, which is fine. 
you know, and I and I called him personally. I didn't know this guy. Uh, I called him personally to thank him and told him what he was what he was doing. Now, yeah, he was getting a piece of history, but he was also he was also affecting a lot of people's lives. And to me, that's what it's about. It's it's, it's the same thing with our music. We're affecting someone's life, but in this case. You know, we're putting food on someone's table. So, you know what? You couldn't ask for anything better. Nice. Awesome. Okay. All right. Before, Steve, before we wrap this up, um, you know, we're, we're a music discussion, you know, analysis kind of show. Uh, what uh, what gets you going now at 50 years old? You know, what, what do you listen to? What's on your iPod? What are you into right now? Oh, man. You both. At 50 years old, I, I, I still listen to, uh, you know, pretty much everything. I mean, I'm still into old punk. You know, give me a Ramones album, give me a Misfits record. Um, but, you know what, I admire anybody that can get out there and make a, you know, make a living at your passion. I admire bands who, who can just get out there in a van tour. It's great. But... I listen to, I listen to everything. I really do. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter. It's not, a, it's not about just being in one genre. I listen to everything. I just heard the new Marilyn Manson single today, actually. It's actually pretty cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. We talked about it on our uh, end of year episode. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's, it's actually, it's, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. That's coming out. Uh, um, Pink Mountaintops, though they've been out for a while. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. Nice. Okay. I love. But you know what? Give me a good old Elvis album or something. Uh, some good '50s music, but give me some good old-fashioned punk rock, and that'll get my heart going. Nice. Right on. Okay. Give me the damned. Sweet machine gun etiquette. I could not. I mean, oh, I wouldn't. I would not be the person I am today if I didn't have that album. Ah, uh, one of the best. Oh God, I love it. One of the best. It's amazing. You know, love song, great song. Yep, Melody Lee. Um, Melody Lee. Yeah, intro. Great song. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. I have every damn record ever made, including the very first one on Stiff Records. New Rose. Fish, I think Fish is probably my favorite song off of that album. You know what, man? They're all good. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's amazing. Even going to Asmagoria was was a great album. It was different for them, but it was a great album. Yep, I would agree. Okay, man. Steve, it was awesome chatting with you, man. Well, thank you. I really appreciate uh, you giving me the time. And, um, yeah, well, you know, if you ever want to do it again, let me know. You've been listening to Music the Lifeblood. Find us to listen and download for free at Music the Lifeblood at Podomatic.com and the iTunes Store in the podcast section. Leave us your comments, ratings, and reviews, and find us on Facebook. We're going nowhere, that's just fine.